and blessed by just reflecting on, you know, this this God whose love never fails. It's really hard, isn't it, to sometimes believe it's true that the love of God never runs out. He never gets tired of us. He never says, I've had enough. His faithfulness is so consistent, even in the midst of our unfaithfulness. We serve a good God and... Uh, you know, I think part of these times is that we would get a fresh revelation of that goodness. We would, we would learn to live out of this place, this, this safe place that he invites us into. So last week, uh, we looked at a couple of these needs that I said were really key. And, uh, but, you know, they're all key. And, and these two especially, these are the last two of the ten. The way people say we're finishing. No, <laughs> we're just beginning. <laughs> So we're looking today at um, security, the need for security to feel safe, to feel like we belong, we can be ourselves, and comfort. God is a great comforter. We're going to look at that one second. But firstly, um, security. Security is about the need to, um, um, to trust Trust is another good word for when we're thinking of meeting the needs of others that the Lord wants us to, to learn to trust one another. To, in other words, build a place that is safe in our human relationships as a reflection of the trust we have in Him. Really the word faith, to believe in God is to trust in Him. To, to, to put our whole, to, Everything depends upon God and His goodness that He is for me and He will come through for me and I can rest in that. This is what it means to believe, to trust in Him. And I believe He invites us to be that like for one another versus to feel threatened by one another. God does not want us to live in a place where we feel threatened. And yet, many, if not all of us, have experienced a sense of threat from people, if we're honest. So, the need for security is, is met by establishing and maintaining harmony in our relationships, providing freedom from fear or threat of harm. And that was the invitation in Paul's words at the, to the end of Romans, where he's applying the reality of this salvation message, the goodness of God. He says, now you live in a place of harmony in your relationships. For us to get to this place requires us to go through some difficult terrain. It requires us to be vulnerable. We never get to trust without mutual vulnerability in our relationships, which means we've got to risk something. We've got to risk being known at the point at which we are, believing that we will still be welcomed and accepted and loved by those around us. And it also implies that we've got to learn how to deal with things when they go wrong, because occasionally things go wrong. Conflict happens. In the sense of people feel their needs are being missed and feel aggrieved by that. And we have to learn how to resolve that to restore harmony and peace. So Paul says, bless those who persecute you. I mean, I mean he's taking it to another level, isn't he? He's not just talking about the people you live with and you worship with. He says, your enemies, bless them. Why? Because it's about your identity, you see. If we're to be like God, did God bless you? Uh, did God bless you? Has God blessed you? Were you once his enemy? That's what Paul says. 
Once we were enemies of God and he blessed us. So to bless our enemies is to be simply like God. Live in harmony with one another. If possible, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge. Overcome evil with good. That includes your boss at work. Oh, really? You've not met my boss. In many ways, this doesn't need much explanation, but what it does need is the Spirit of God. (laughs) In and of ourselves, we don't really want to go there easily, do we? And so we need to look to Him. We need to fix our gaze upon Jesus. It's His life in us, you see. That's the the life that is meant to be revealed through us. Now, security exists for our well-being. God creates security for us, for our shelter from the storms of life. In many ways, relational security, feeling safe with people, is, is like financial or physical security. If we have that, that feels good. That we're protected somehow from what may come our way. Security in our relationships is found when people in my life, whether it's my family, my immediate family, my extended, my friends, in fact, an an ever-broadening circle of people, I would suggest, can count on me. They can increasingly rely upon my character, my integrity, and it's what builds a powerful and strong legacy in our lives, I would suggest. And it's rare, but I think it's very godly. It's rare in churches, sadly. And this church has not been without its challenges when it comes to feeling safe and there being a high level of trust. You see, this call is to rise above something that left to our own devices, we easily lose touch with and sight of. But this is the call of Christ. This is the nature of God. And to the degree in which we experience it in our human relationships will often affect our ability to rest in this same reality that God gives to us as well. You see, it's hard to trust God when I can't even trust my closest friend. In fact, the psalmist talks about that. The person who's digging the knife in his back, it's his trusted friend. God, that hurts. And some of you will know the pain of one whom you've trusted turning on you. But security is such an important need and so vital that we grow in this. So, how do we meet the need for security in others? You know I like to be practical, give you food to take away. So, start with your closest relationships. If we're not in a place of security with those nearest and dearest, and if you're married, that means your spouse. If you have children, it means your children, your family. If we're not in a safe place there, it's hard to express that beyond there. So, a husband is to live in such a way that his wife doesn't worry about faithfulness in the marriage. That creates security. As I sometimes say to couples, why would you consider throwing the D word out? I worked with a manager once and because of his own brokenness and the insecurity of his upbringing, the first moment of threat in his marriage was, well, you can always leave because that's all he knew. And he was a Christian. You see, this doesn't guarantee anything to walk in the Spirit. But we're not to do that. If we have children, 
They need to feel secure in the knowledge that their parents will always love them and care for them and be there for them. This is the environment that creates for healthy children who can then replicate that in their own lives and families. I would say even in our friendships, and this isn't always easy, particularly when we're younger, but it doesn't always get easier as we get older, but are we committed to one another? Do we communicate and demonstrate that through good times and bad Secondly, do we keep our promises? In fact, one of the ways to build trust is to make and keep your commitments. Become a person of your word. Do what you say. Yes means yes. No means no. And things like, kind of pet peeves of mine, oh, I'll try, or we'll see. No, please don't do that. If you're really not sure, say you're not sure, Maybe it's too much times of parents saying, oh, we'll see. Oh, can we go to so-and-so? Well, we'll see. That feels like a no. Smells like a no. I expect it's going to be a no. But why don't you say no? And what can you say yes to? You see, we build trust and security when we say yes and then follow through on what we're saying. And if we don't, we're back to that conflict and we learn to apologize and care about letting each other down and make renewed commitments to follow through on the things we resolve to do. We're not perfect. Own it. Thirdly, we provide financial security for those for whom we're responsible. This is another part of creating a place of safety, providing for our families, paying our bills as best as we can, not living beyond our means, acting with integrity when it comes to financial matters. This is a part of creating safety and security in our relationships. Number four, develop self-control. That's a part of the fruit of the Spirit, self-control especially when it comes to the area of our emotions. Um, I'm going to spend the next six weeks talking about emotions, so that's all pretty exciting, isn't it? But you see, this is such a vital part of our being healthy and loving well. But, so important that we are able to recognize, control and manage what we are feeling. Beware a quick temper the triggers that so quickly release something beyond what really is manifesting. Be consistent in how you relate to people. Try to avoid extreme mood swings. We're meant to be a, and love somebody, somebody once coined the phrase, a, a non-anxious presence. It's a reflection of what Jesus was like in the midst of turmoil, whether it's on a boat in the middle of the Galilee and hardened sailors are terrified for their life. He represented a sort of a non-anxious presence. He wasn't disturbed. He wasn't upset. There's a strength that comes from that. But if he was all frantic and flailing his arms and what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What would they do? It's hard to imagine Jesus flailing his arms and saying, what are we going to do? But he was human. Let's not forget that. And he invites us to be that ourselves. So some things to pause and reflect if we are to be people who exhibit and give security and meet that need in other people. There are things to, to be aware of in ourselves and to address as far as our own freedom. What needs your attention in your life? 
And we never finish this work. We're constantly invited to be reflecting on and working on the things that are hindering my ability to be a person who meets the need for security and respect and, and appreciation and all of the things that we've been looking at. But particularly around this area of security, some of the things that can hinder us. One would be avoiding the truth. This is harder than it may seem. You know, we, we are meant to be people of the truth. We follow one who is truth. Would that be fair? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So life is found in truth. Life is found in light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship, and the blood of Jesus cleanses. doesn't mean we're perfect. It just means we're honest. Beware if you're avoiding truth. Which doesn't mean we lie, it's just we're economical with it. We're not really vulnerable. Secondly, excessive moodiness. If you're married, ask your spouse about this one. Is this, a, is this a problem for me? Do I need your help with this? You're not smiling, are you? You didn't like that one, did you? Too much? Sometimes we need, reflect, we, we need somebody to help us see ourselves because we have these blind spots. That's why God gives us others in our lives. Something else, selfishness. Are you preoccupied with your own needs? Overly. Do you live with fear and insecurity in your life? Is that a dominant emotion? Do you find yourself often being anxious, looking inward? Do you tend to take more than give? Out of our selfish self-orientation, do we find ourselves always trying to get our own needs met and harder to focus on the needs of others? Are we too controlling? Do we try to manage people and circumstances to our own end and not give freedom to others? Are we self-protective? Do we avoid vulnerability? Do we flip-flop on our decisions? Do we say one thing and then end up doing another? And that's a pattern. Now we do those things for reasons. We're trying to get something met in our own lives, but it doesn't create security for people around us. Do we have temper outbursts? Is anger an issue for us? Do we at times childishly devolve into that self-pity? And my little pity party, I just need something for myself. It's not a pretty list, is it? But it's things we all at various times have struggled with, I would suggest. Do I focus on myself? I mean, sometimes even coming to worship like this, it can be, well... I wonder what I'm going to get out of this. I'll go in to spend time with somebody. I'll go in, whatever it is, we can subtly find ourselves living primarily for self when we're invited to live for the sake of others. Am I a perfectionist? Do I get frustrated? Things just aren't perfect. Because that will create some insecurity for others for whom that's not such an issue. Do I avoid emotion? Actually, do I find it hard, both in terms of expressing my own feelings, spent some time with some guys on Friday, and we're, we're learning how to connect with and share what we feel with each other. Yep, the male of the species. Brilliant. The thing is, do I run like the, from that like the plague, because I don't want anything to do with that? Or when I see it in others, I run in the other direction as well. Am I uncomfortable with emotion? Do I make impulsive decisions? Can't quite see that one. Do I just jump at things quickly without taking thought? Alright, that's a long list. 
I just want to pause for a moment and just invite you to close your eyes. And you can squint through your eyelids if you want to keep referencing the list, but I want you to ask the Holy Spirit. He's here. He's among us. God is here, present to us. He loves you. He is committed to forming Christ in you. And you being a person of deep and profound security for yourself and for other people, what would the Holy Spirit say to you today? Come, Lord, speak to your people. Now, the Spirit of God is he's a good, good spirit because he's a part of a good, good Father who wants the very best for you. And he's not an accusing or condemning spirit. That's the enemy. That's the spirit to be rejected. But he is the spirit of truth. And he's to be listened to. And also he's the spirit of power who will empower you to become and to grow into all that you would long for in Christ. And I would encourage you, if the Lord is putting something on your mind, um, A, write that down. I even make space in the service leaflet for you to do that. But B, talk to somebody else about that. Because you can't grow yourself by yourself. You're, not, you're wired to connect. Remember, all these needs are about connecting with others. So, security, hugely important. That, that this becomes a place of deep abiding trust. And that when, when we slip up, we correct it quickly and we, we continue rebuilding and moving in that direction. But that you reflect that as well to the people in your life. Alright, the last need is it's probably the one that I found the hardest, that, that came the least naturally to me. It's the, it's the relational need of comfort. Some of you will have a high need for comfort if you've done that little assessment. Some of you, like me, it kind of first time I did it, it, it kind of hardly registered at the bottom of the list. Now, it was still a need, and we all need it, but for some it's more important than others. And God, in his great wisdom, married me to a person who has a high need for comfort. And I didn't know that. And I didn't even know what it was like if I'd met it on the road. And I had to learn, and you can learn about this, and I'm wanting to encourage you to learn. Comfort versus my tendency was to minimize pain. You see, the way I dealt with pain is make light of it. I grew up in a family where we did that. As I may have mentioned before, something worse always happens somewhere else. In fact, we would say, worse things happen at sea. Is that right, Walter? The worst things always happen at sea, because we used to say that, but no one had ever been to sea, so nobody really knew what the heck was going on at sea. But the assumption was, you need to quit your crying, pick yourself up and get on with stuff. That's how you deal with pain. And it's a travesty. Because big boys do cry. Jesus wept. In freedom. Now, the need for comfort is about responding with care to a hurting person through words, actions, emotional responses and touch. One or a combination of those things. It's a profoundly human thing to do and it's always the, need, the first needed response when people are hurting is that we would connect with their pain and feel it with them because it's the common human condition is hurt. We all know about hurt. And hurt is what happens when my need is not met. And so I need another need 
to, to help heal that. And we are called to be comforters. Why? Because God is. He's the God of all comfort. The Holy Spirit is another comforter. Another one because Jesus was also a comforter. God in his essence is about comfort. Isaiah 40, if you, whatever you believe that comes from, but nevertheless it speaks to a people um, away from their homeland, struggling and suffering, and God says, comfort, comfort my people. I mean, they're there because of their sin and rebellion, but the heart of the Father is to comfort them in their pain. And I love the first and earliest revelation we have of God to Moses, because although God revealed himself to Abraham, um, we, we don't get a big picture of the nature of this God, but once he starts naming himself, what do we hear about the nature of God? Don't you love this? Compassionate, gracious, merciful. God is full of compassion. This is the God revealing himself to Moses on the mountain while the people of God are just losing it. And his first word is he's the God of compassion, which means he suffers with us. He feels our pain and fundamentally expresses that through the cross where he not only feels the pain of our sin but he takes it upon himself he absorbs it into himself he not only feels and suffers with us he suffers for us this is our God the little girl was late home for dinner one night her mum was a little bit upset but nevertheless she asked why were you late? And she was playing next door with her little friend, Mary. She said, well, Mary's favorite doll broke. And mom says, so did you stay to help her fix it? She said, no, I stayed to help her cry. We've got to learn to cry with one another. Because Paul says, weep with those who weep. That is part of the healing. We're not meant to weep alone, you see. Because our weeping is often out of our aloneness. And when we feel each other's pain, we remove some of that aloneness. <clears throat> Jesus. I read that passage from Mark, a kind of a summary of, sorry, from Matthew, a summary of uh, the various miracles that Jesus had done. But the summary statement is, Jesus looked upon the crowds with compassion. They were like sheep without a shepherd. He felt their pain. They were isolated, they were marginalized, they were separated from, in a way, the blessings of God and his heart was to heal and restore. And he says, now come and work with me in this. And, and very often I think our journey in life is from the pain of our own brokenness and people around us to the purpose of compassion. This has been a long road for me. But I believe God is creating us to be people of profound compassion for the brokenness in our world. Because that's the nature of who he is. To comfort is to hurt with another. It's emotional. It's heartfelt. It's a response to another's own heartfelt sadness, pain, loss, discouragement, sadness. It's not about facts and logic which is the realm I was comfortable in, because everything had a solution. Everything you could find a way out. Everything you can fix it. Everything, if you'd stop doing that, you wouldn't be having trouble with this. 
Who caused this sickness? Why was this man born blind? Who's to blame? You see, we want to rationally fix things and explain things and understand things and we miss the opportunity to care about the suffering of a human being. And I did that a lot, even with one closest to me. But she was patient, long-suffering, and has helped me grow in this a lot. We're to be moved with compassion to care for those in pain. I've got a short video clip by um, a lady called Brene Brown. Has anybody heard of Brene Brown? She's a lady from Houston, actually Houston, Texas, a researcher around human relationship, particularly around the areas of shame and vulnerability, and a really helpful little explanation between the difference between sympathy and empathy. Let's watch this. Connection, meeting needs, showing compassion. I put a quote from Nelson Mandela on the front of our service sheet. Our human compassion binds us the one to the other, not in pity or patronizingly, but as human beings who have learned how to turn our common suffering into hope for the future. So you've got to face the reality of suffering and pain. And I believe God doesn't have a, well he has a problem with it, but he doesn't have a problem with facing it and owning it. Because he cares deeply about it. And um, I think he invites us along a similar path. So, how do we do this? What does it look like? Well, we have to learn to recognize when people need comfort and then be available to them and willing to care about what they're going through. Because often people's need for comfort comes at the time when they're at the lowest, when they're physically ill or dealing with perhaps illness or death in, of others, loved ones, going through separation, divorce, relational difficulties, unemployed, significant stress, or just the challenges of life itself. Sometimes it's more acute and their trauma comes from abuse, violence, abandonment, betrayal. And all of these need comfort. They need more than comfort, but they need comfort. Just this morning I was reading of a gal in my old church who just summarily was let go last week and it happened to be on the eve of a, a women's retreat day and she just talked about the comfort of friends and family who just gathered around her, met her in her place of sort of disorientation, bewilderment, anger, sadness and cared deeply. Couldn't fix it, couldn't change it but the, the power that came from people who would listen and care about that and support her uh, and a family who gathered around her was powerful. We get to do the, the same for one another. And, and I love that this is a, um, this is a church that uh, exudes compassion and wants to care about the struggles of people in their lives, whether it's through addictive behaviors, drugs, uh, lifestyle issues that are a struggle to people, homelessness, we are out there showing compassion. And I love that. And I believe the Lord loves that too. When someone needs comfort, be, beware analyzing the situation too much. To figuring out the root cause of their misfortune, to give advice and criticize even their behavior. In in, instead, we've got to learn to simply meet them in the place of mourning and show care. Remember, it's, it's an, we've got to find something in us that feels like what they're doing and express that. We feel with them. 
We've got to learn to use words that communicate genuine care. That, I would say it was, it, it was almost like a foreign language to me to, to start doing that. I know it may, that may sound shocking um, because I could come up with great scriptures that will give you hope for the future and in the moment of shared pain, it's irrelevant. Now, the, the, the truth is an important part of moving forward, but until I care about the pain, it's hard to receive that. So words like, I'm so sorry. It saddens me. My heart hurts. I can't imagine what it must feel like. Sometimes it's not words. Sometimes it's just tears. And sometimes it's a hug. And sometimes it's just sitting with people. There's a lady in, um, we worked with for, for many years. And it was a national prayer breakfast. We were driving down to, in May, I think, in downtown Austin. And on the way down, her husband had a heart attack and died. Devastating. And she pulled into a, a, a fireplace and they tried to resuscitate her husband. He was taken to hospital, but he, he died. Just suddenly like that. Awful, awful. Uh, I got news about it at this prayer meeting. See, this is life. And um, eventually, Carol and I just went to her home and we just um, sat with her. At one level, feeling absolutely useless, but another level, just crying with her and, and feeling that. And, and then over weeks and months and years, walking with her. It's incredibly powerful that kind of presence with one another, that level of connection at a place of infinite pain and grief and loss. It changes us, as well as, I believe, changes the one who's suffering. So, I, I just want to finish there. I just want to pray for us. And it's, it feels fitting that we should finish, in a way, on this particular relational need of comfort. Um, so, Lord, we thank you that you are the great comforter who doesn't explain the pain and injustice always of life, but you meet us in that place. And you care for what we're dealing with. And I pray for people who are here this morning in pain, sadness, feeling loss, disappointment, grief, God, may they know your touch. May they know the presence of the Comforter. And may they know the empathy of us. God in the flesh. People around them. Come, Holy Spirit, the Comforter. Come alongside and bring your healing, I pray. Help us become a fellowship where we, um, in, in building this security and safe place, harmony, we also get good at meeting each other in the place of struggle. We're not here to win arguments, to prove who's right and wrong. We're here to care. Show us this. Help us in this, Lord. Deepen our love for one another. And cause this, this love to spill out from us. Let the world come to know of a God who cares about its lostness and its brokenness and its pain. Begin in us and flow from us, Lord, we pray, for the glory of your name. Amen. Okay.
I put in your in your service leaflets, if you've got one of those, a little yellow sheet. And um, I want to encourage you to take that home and put that in a place where you could make reference to it. It talks, you know, it's this confession of love we've been sharing in together. And it's a reminder to us of the nature of God, but also this call upon us to be the people of God who reflect that nature. So let's read these words together one last time. And then we'll have our testimony and our communion together. We love because God first loved us and poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We love because Christ accepted us in order to bring praise to God. We love because, like Paul, we have experienced the affection of Christ Jesus. We love because we are invited to be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We love because eternal life has been given to us through the one on whom God the Father has placed the seal of approval. We love because the Virgin conceived and gave birth to a son called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We love because God the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort comforts us in all our troubles. We love because our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement. We love because in view of God's mercy we express our devotion by respecting one another above ourselves. We love because we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We love because when we carry each other's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Brad, you've moved along the row. Come and... uh, Let's share some testimony of God's love.